Hello everybody, Jordan Skinner here with another awesome episode of the Crushing It in Construction podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to the construction industry where I interview amazing guests from within the industry that share their experience, their wisdom and their insights that'll help you, the listener, grow in either your career or within your business. So no matter where you are in the industry, there is always something valuable to learn from our guests and their stories. So here we are already with episode number two of 2023, and this week I'm chatting with Evan Graham, who is the CEO of Limcora. And Evan has a really interesting story. When he took over Limcora, it was just him and about six other blokes. He was in his early 20s and he had the bit between his teeth and he really wanted to make a success of the company and himself. And when he was growing the company, he eventually realized that he needed some support and chose to take on a partner. I think this is a really interesting episode because while a lot of business partnerships end in tears, Evan and his business partner have really made it work. And in this episode, we talk about Evan's journey as a whole, and he also shares his insights on how people should go about bringing in a partner and what people should look out for when they go about doing this, because it's not for everybody. Evan is a really interesting bloke, and this episode is full of great information that I know people will find really useful. So let's get into it. G'day, Evan. Thanks for coming on the podcast, mate. I'm looking forward to having a bit of a chinwag with you. Thanks for having me, Jordan. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. So for everybody that doesn't know you yet, could you just tell us who you are and what it is that you do? Okay, my name is Evan Graham and I'm the CEO of Limcora, plumbing and drainage contractors. We've got our head office based here in northwestern Sydney, Mulgrave, and we've got a warehouse out in Pitttown. And we've also got another office in Kingston, which is just a little town 20 minutes south of Hobart. We run a team of approximately 60 plumbers and drainers, office staff, machinery, start to finish residential. We do a little bit of commercial, but yeah, our main focus is resi, new housing, custom houses, big subdivisions. Yeah, that pretty much sums us up in a, in a nutshell. Yeah, cool. So how long have you guys been in Tassie? Not that long from what I remember. We're coming on our third year down there now. The first year was literally just setting up. Our general manager, actually, AJ, who's my first cousin, he moved there for love. So I was like, well, mate, if you're moving to Tassie, then let's see what we can drum up down there. And one big philosophy for me was satellite businesses was where it was at. Like instead of growing our own business from 60 to 80 here in Sydney, I'd rather completely separate it and start a whole nother smaller crew. So that was a good place to, to start okay. was with AJ down in Tassie. So we started there with one guy and three years later, we've got 10 working for the biggest builders in Tasmania now. We've got three machines set up and a really good thing happening down there. So really proud of that one. So almost like franchising? I'll call it a satellite business. So almost like franchising. I mean, it's still under the one umbrella. We've still got full control. AJ does all the day-to-day operational stuff. And I suppose the key for that is just having that one key person and then building a team based around him. But what we've found with that is it's kept 10 guys. It's kept it nice and tight, manageable, Mm -hmm. It's probably just like me going back out on the tools and having a team of 10 and keeping that culture, I suppose, at the forefront of who we are. Yeah. Is nice and cozy. Yeah. I, call it. I tell you what, I wouldn't follow my wife to Tassie. I know I love her, but it's bloody cold down there. <laughs> Look, I've been down there a few times to see the boys. We missed out on during COVID, but I was there middle of November going back two years ago and it was like top of seven degrees in the middle of the day, sleeting. Yeah. 
my uncle used to live in Tassie and we went to visit him. This would be when I was still just starting high school or whatever. And I remember coming out in the morning and there being like five or 10 mil worth of ice on the windows. And it's like, <laughs> you, you need to factor in probably an extra 15 minutes to try and warm the car up before you can even take off. Oh yeah. And our boys laying up pipe, PVC pipe, mate. She's cold. She has a good layer of ice on it. So I'll give it to the guys down there. They get amongst it. I'm like, do you guys get used to this? And they're like, nah, we just nah. deal with it. <laughs> Yeah. So tell us, how did you get into the industry? Was it something you were destined for? Did you want to do something else before you got into the construction industry? How did that come about? Well, look, my father, he's the original founder of Limcora and he became partners with his twin brother, actually. So it's a pretty cool story. Back in 1978, my dad lost his job. He got married to my mum. They went on their honeymoon, came back and Boston just basically packed up. He'd come out of his time, you know, it was like, well, oh, I'm going to start my own business. And that's where Limcora started 40 odd years ago now. And that was born out of basically just his boss saying, nah, I'm finished and yeah. you sort yourself out. Yeah, just ready to have a crack, mate. Had a ute, had a shovel, some hand tools and away he went. So I suppose I've grown up as a kid watching dad go to work, come home, school holidays, helping him. I was right into my soccer. So that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a soccer player. But mum and dad, obviously being good parents they are, they sort of said, you need something to fall back on. The family business was always something that would be good for me to take on, you know, from a legacy point of view. But I was playing soccer. I was getting paid at the time from a team, Marconi Stallings. I was back in the National Soccer League. Also, I took on my apprenticeship doing plumbing. So I was working with dad and my uncle. Made a second year apprentice. I made typical young bloke. I was asleep in the truck on the way to a job with dad and we had a rough in and stack to do. I was given the task of drilling out all the stack work upstairs, had a four inch hole saw, brand new drill, brand new hole saw, and it had no clutch on it, the drill. So I've drilled out my first hole. She grabbed and skipped out straight into my right toe. Yeah, I was like, at the time, it was a little bit of shock. It wasn't much pain. It was a little bit of shock. I thought I just nicked it and I put the boot flap and I was like, oh, geez, there's a bit of blood in there. I'm like, Dad, I've cut me toe. He's like, oh, you'll be right, mate. Just strap it up. You'll be right. I go, no, I think it's pretty bad. I've put my foot out and he's pulled the flap of the boot back that it chopped into and he's like, oh, geez, this is pretty bad. We went to the, the hospital there, Hornsby Hospital, and yeah, I was in there for three days, two surgeries, and then I had three months off with a full cast on my leg. Yeah, so I'm like, all right, soccer career's over. <laughs> yeah, was that what ended the soccer career? That was pretty much it, mate. I got back. Luckily, that happened in the off-season, so I did get another season under my belt, but with the toe injury, microsurgery and the tendon, I was a right footer, could kick with both feet, but I snapped that tendon pretty much straight away when I got back into soccer. It was like a knife stabbing in there, and I'm just like, mate, I can't. This is, can't do this it. Is it. This is it for me. So, yeah, second-year yeah. apprentice, going into third year, and then I just went, all right, let's just focus on yeah. the family business now. And, you know, you go back to the conversation with mum and dad, just have something to fall back on, and an injury can just put you out of a yeah. professional career so easily. Yeah. Because as a kid, when you hear that, like I was very similar with my motorsport, you know, everybody sort of said, just have something as a backup. Like at the time yeah. you hear that as, don't you think I can do it? Like, you're yeah, not backing me or something. Right. Like, what is this? Yeah, mate, I'm, I'm going. Yeah. 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 And then, but you know, in hindsight, it's <laughs> probably pretty sound advice. So once that toe injury had happened, you obviously then focused on finishing off the apprenticeship and all that. Did you always want to run the business or did just at that point you were just focused on becoming a plumber, being good at what you did? Yeah. Like, First and foremost, yeah, family business. I knew I knew at some point there would be an opportunity for me to take it on. It probably came earlier than what I expected. So my grandfather actually became quite ill 
put the offer out to mum and dad when he became sick to come up and take over the house and build a dual occupancy for him and all that sort of stuff and mum and dad to move up there and look after him. So that opportunity was presented to mum and dad and they were like, you know what, it's a good stage in life. I've just finished my time. We'd all moved out of home and bought our own houses and all that sort of stuff. I've got an older brother and an older sister, so I'm the youngest. So I said, well, why don't you guys go? It's a good opportunity, great place to live, all that sort of stuff. So my dad being in business with his brother, twin brother, he offered the business to my uncle to buy out, but he was not the one to go, you know what, I'm going to grow this business and take it on. So I put my hand up. 20 years old, 21 years old, invincible, you know, same thing. Like, I'm going to make a professional soccer career. I'm going to be yeah. a businessman now, you know. They're like, oh, are you, you sure? And my uncle's like, mate, this is big pressure. I'm like, mate, I'm ready. If I've got you with me too, I then bought out my uncle. Okay. Mum and dad became silent partners with me. Mum do the books and that anyway, so she could continue to do that. We had six staff at the time, so I pretty much became the youngest boss in history, I think, at that point <laughs> in our company. Yeah. <laughs> So that was a battle in itself just to become fresh out of time and running this business. But yeah, that was the decision that was made and I took it with both hands and away I jumped in the deep end. Yeah. Yeah. So from when you took it over to where you are now, what are some of the different sort of progressions that the company's been through? So when you took it over, what was there, four or five blokes? Is that right? Maybe with a, with a couple of subbies that we used to come in, probably six in total. Yeah. Yeah. So since then to get to 60, what are some of the different stages that it's been through? Well, I doubled the turnover in the first year of business and then kept doubling it every year after that. So quite quick growth. Some of the steps I took to get there was, mate, one of the biggest things, and it's so simple, I had call flip signs made up and I had a few jobs around Sydney and I just started posting these call flip signs on fences and, you know, getting sign writing on my trucks and sort of just started working on that basic marketing. But yeah. everyone started talking to me, mate, I see your signs everywhere. We had a fair few townhouse subdivisions going around Sydney and we worked for one particular builder at that time that I inherited, which was great. And he was a good grounding for me, a good base, I suppose. So I just used what we had at that time and then basic marketing, build on that. I started getting noticed. I started having builders calling me going, oh, can you take this job on? And, and I was just a yes man at that time. Same thing again, invincible. So I'd say yes to this job and I just started adding more stuff could find subcontractors and there's no book on how to run a business and I never did a business degree either so I kind of yep. just took this in my stride I surrounded myself with I suppose some older business guys that were in the plumbing industry that I could look up to and I became really good friends with these guys and they they could see me having a crack too and they would give me time so I suppose that was let's call it a bit of mentoring so they were other business owners in plumbers other business owners in plumbers and they would even help me out too if I got busy I couldn't get to jobs they would actually subcontract back to me and Yep. help me complete things and give me a leg up. And then yep. I could see how their processes ran in their office, how they prepared plans, how they set the boys' work up. When you're applying staff, it's all good being on the tools, but I wanted to then work on getting off the tools and how did yep. I do that? Yep. Do you either manage and be on the tools or do you just step back and manage and then create, and then grow the business? And that's the decision I made was to pull myself back off the tools and, and work on the business. So did those mentors help you figure out how to do that? Because I mean, in theory, it sounds easy, but in reality, it's always a lot harder than what it sounds. So did they help you do that? And what was it that you put in place to help you get back off of the tools? Well, look, a business is, the foundation is key. So you've really got to have your processes in place, good routine, just absorb as much as you can. I could see how their office ran. I'm like, I want my office to run like that. The less phone calls that are made, the better. These are all the little things that I could see how these guys ran that I wanted to do. And I, I just started implementing that and organically grew from there. Yeah, we had four or five. And then the first two, three years, we were up to 19 already. 
So those first two, three, four, five years, you're basically doubling in revenue every year. That's mm-hmm. a lot of growth and it must've been a shitload of work. How busy were you? Like, I mean, you, you must've been just like sleeping and then working. Yeah, man. I didn't have kids at the time, which is great. It's a single man's game when you're working that hard. When I talk about getting off the tools, there was still that element of me needing to be there sometimes as a backup. And then when you're trying to imagine them work as well, like you're just juggling. But I got really sick at one point. I had a really bad flu and to the point where I couldn't be sick. Like I was working and people needed me and I'm like, I've got to fix this, especially if I start having kids and a family and all that sort of stuff. And it was one of the businesses and one of the guys I was really good friends with was second in charge. And I could see the way he ran and I'm like, this guy's very passionate. It's not even his business that he's running, you know. I approached him, his name's Alex Nelson. He subcontracted back to me and then one day I said, mate, how do you feel about coming on as a business partner? Because I, I really want to share what I've got and I, I want someone who's invested in this business as much as I am. We got together and had a good chat about it and made away. We went from there. He, he accepted the offer. and Yeah. So you were basically at a point then where if you stopped, the business stopped and that was something that you were trying to get away from. It didn't essentially stop everyone. I just had to be in control of it. So I had to set the work for the boys. Like I was being the supervisor. I was being the manager. I was taking all the phone calls from the builders. I was booking work in. I was printing plans. I was doing invoicing. Pretty much what our whole office is doing now, I was doing that on my own. Take that out of the equation. I didn't have any any other backup. I mean, my mum yep. was doing the books, yep. but she still needed to be fed the information, you know, so... So what was it that you were seeing that led you to exploring the idea of, say, a business partner first, more so than saying, well, right, you know, I want to keep sole ownership of this and I'm just going to build out a management team? I floated all those ideas around and I've heard all the horror stories around partnerships and it was a big step and big decision to approach someone that I didn't really know that well. I got to know through business, but I didn't know them on a personal level or a family level, you know. But I suppose for me, building a leadership team, that was hard work in itself to find that right people for those roles. And I always say invested interest is the best interest. There's someone that's actually got skin in the game. And that's what I saw. And with Alex's passion that he had running someone else's business without skin in the game, I was like, well, mate, I'd like to share it with someone, share the journey, share the rewards. And if you're driving this thing the same way I am, then we're yeah. going to build something great. You know what I mean? So what are some of the challenges of, I suppose, having a partnership? Like you said before, you've heard the horror stories. I mean, is there anything that you can speak to? Are there particular challenges that people can expect when entering into a partnership? Look, communication in, in all facets of business and in life, if you don't communicate, then there's perception created there's one feeling like they're doing more than the other and all that sort of stuff so if you can build a relationship based around transparency and communicate then you should be able to overcome most challenges not saying there's not going to be any challenges but if you don't talk about it you can't fix it and if you keep bottling stuff up then it's not going to end well at some point something's just going to happen and then away you go things blow up and then it doesn't end well yeah things just fester that's right exactly right So other than being able to share the load with a partner that's equally as invested in the success of the company that you are, like, I mean, what were some of the tangible changes that you've seen in the business once you'd bought on the business partner? Was it kind of like just this relief of now I've got somebody that I can confide in on the same page as I am and we're both steering the ship together? Like, what was it for you that changed? We're still like after 17, well, Alex has been with me for 12 years now. So 17 years in total, I've had the business and we're still bouncing off each other 
on a daily basis, having that like-minded thought. We've got totally different personalities and it just works, but my strengths have been more drainage and in the ground and Alex's strengths have been more in the plumbing side. And the way we bounce off each other in that sense is great and it's still happening today. I suppose you just don't feel like you're on your own. Mm. That's support in itself, especially running something this big. So if somebody was listening to this and say they're a, a company that's 10, 15, 20 people and that's one mm-hmm. owner at the minute and they're kind of listening to this thinking, maybe this is something I should explore. Mm-hmm. How do you think they should go about it? What, what's step number one that they should do when trying to explore a partnership, look for somebody? How should they go about it? Well, I was probably lucky enough to be able to have involvement with a mentor that I was watching how their business ran and I could see from the outside in how Alex operated and was quite impressed just based on that alone. So I suppose nobody gets that opportunity, but it definitely should take some time. I think looking back is you've got to get to know them. It's like a marriage, you know, it's just the same thing. Get to know them, communication, getting the partnership agreements put in place. Sometimes there's some awkward conversations that need to be had, but they need to be had. Have them, put them on the table, be as transparent as possible and find that person that usually first impressions, you can build character could be someone with a similar business that you want to merge with. That's usually always a good outcome. So what are some of those awkward conversations that you think need to have just to give people an idea? Well, money's always the root of all evil, like how shares are distributed and who gets what. And then you've got running costs of vehicles and things you put through the business, your own expenses. And they're the little, I suppose, gems of being able to have your own business that you get to have. You know what I mean? They're the little yeah. gifts at the end of a month or end of the week or end of the year. I suppose, yeah, just being as transparent as possible with that kind of stuff. Because if someone feels like they're missing out or they're hard done by, creates angst, creates a perception of they're getting more than me. Yeah. And I feel like the spoiled kid that should be getting that because I work harder than them or whatever. Mm. Yeah. So if you can stop that from happening, everything usually yeah. flows okay. And when you say looking into partner agreements, what are we talking about? Are we talking about going and finding lawyers that specialize in this kind of stuff so they can be the middleman to all this? Or is this something that you do just between people? Like how would you suggest people go about that? Yeah, there's firms. It was actually our accountant that referred to a mate that he uses that specializes in partnership law in businesses. And he drafted up a partnership agreement and had certain clauses in there that need to be in there. And I suppose if someone passes away, you've got all those sort of difficult conversations to have, whether the wife takes it on, where the shares go, it's almost like writing your own will. And then there's things that you want to have a clear job description. So definitely going to a lawyer, by the sounds of what you're saying, would definitely be the smartest move to make sure that you don't miss it. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what they do. If we're contractors in some way, shape or form, we're good at digging holes or laying pipe or building things. We're not necessarily across everything that makes up a partner agreement. Exactly right. And if it's in black and white, then no one's there to argue about it. We've all signed off on it. We've all agreed to it. This is what happens. And it's clear cut, set from the beginning. And Mm. things do happen. And you need to have something in place to prevent the World War III because you hear it too many times. It's like, oh, is that a partnership agreement? No. Okay, well, now the lawyers are involved and now the lawyers are going to cost you. And then who wins at the end of the day? The lawyers are the ones that win. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And that's why I wanted to dive into this topic with you because, like I said, I've heard the horror stories as well and I've got mates Mm. that have been in partnerships in different businesses that have resulted in shit and feathers flying everywhere kind of thing. And like I said to you when we spoke last time, one of my mates has the saying of, you know the bad business partner or you are the bad business partner. (laughs) So he's obviously been a bit jaded by what's happened to him, but hearing about your partnership and how it's been a good success, I thought it would be useful for the people listening to really dive into how it came about things to look out for, all of that sort of stuff. Because you guys are proof that they don't all end in disaster. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly. 
So not related to, I suppose, partnerships or anything like that, but I mean, is there in the time that you've been running the business, whether it was on your own or when it turned into a partnership, is there any massive screw ups that have happened in those years that have been painful at the time, but has taught you a valuable lesson? Well, it's one to probably swallow, but we had, mate, it was when my third daughter, so I've got three daughters, beautiful wife, Amy, my daughters are Mia, Sienna and Ava. So when Ava was born, my youngest, right at the time my wife was giving birth to Ava, we had a job going in a local suburb northwest of Sydney here and the concreters were actually pouring the slab. Now, I'm not getting into my phone in the middle of a birth. And that goes back to that challenge of like, you know, removing yourself from the business. But there was a call made on site with our drainers. They're like, with the project manager and the concreter, they were going to stop the pour. We needed to fix this drainage pipe. Like it was only at 200 mil. They all decided to make a call on site to stop the pour and do a cold joint. Now, great call on site by everyone apparently, but I was like, why did they do that? Why would you stop? We just chopped to fix it after. There was concrete trucks lined up. There was pumps there. I went back to the engineers and said, all right, so we get the plan through for the cold joint and we'll re-pour. And then basically the engineer said, well, the client said, no, we're not accepting a cold joint. Pull the slab up. Mm. It was a $130,000 slab. God. For me, being in a situation that I couldn't help be contactable, I felt like I was there. I would have just said no. So I suppose that's, that's challenging in itself. Like you empower people to make calls and it's the wrong call. I said, well, what, what am I going to do about it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Suck it up and pay it. Yeah. So my daughter's just turned seven. So yeah, yeah seven years ago now, still haunts me, yeah. but <laughs> we moved on from it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, and like you said, that just drives right back into, you know, if you've got that other person there in the business, that call could have been handballed to that person that probably would have made a similar call to you because they think about the business from a different perspective than say people on the ground for argument's sake that don't have that ownership and even at that point in time alex was dealing with something else on site and he was in a meeting and they couldn't get through to him but they'd already made the call to stop the pause i suppose it just what happened happened and we just move on from it yeah that's it. yeah there yeah, was a big one yeah so i always like to end these episodes on a bit of a personal note just so people can feel like they get to know the guests better but is there a weird mm-hmm. or interesting fact about yourself that most people won't know so I'm a, I cycle and mate, to be honest, I'll tell you, like I hated cyclists. I hated them on the road. <laughs> I actually told my wife, don't ever let me put on Lycra and ride my bike. But a mate of mine, we went away caravanning and we were in Byron Bay, actually, any local bunchy there, a bunch ride. And he's like, mate, just give it a go. You're, I guarantee you'll love it. Mate, although I was flapping off the back, like I couldn't keep up with the bunchy. I was like, mate, these, I was fit and yeah. playing soccer, I was fit too, but the level of fitness in that sport, yeah. even for the local guys, was phenomenal. I was all in at that point. Bought my first bike and away I went and loved it. How long did it take you to accept the fact that you, uh, one of those blokes weren't Lycra then? <laughs> Pretty much the first time I put it on. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? I moved past it. I, look, I, for me, if you're not healthy and fit, you're not sharp during the day. So I got out this morning, did 85K. Yeah. Like business owners, networking is awesome. Yeah. But, mate feel ready to start the day and yeah, I love doing it. Yeah, yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. I, I love getting on the bike as well. And like you said, I resisted Lycra for years. I used to be in like a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and riding and it's like you put it on for that first time. You're like, oh God, I'm going to have to keep wearing this now. Yeah, man. And now you're walking around centers, Sydney in cafes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, just owning it. <laughs> it's like anything. It's all about confidence. So 
Yeah, that's right. So again, I've really enjoyed having this chat with you. I appreciate you giving me your time. Where can people reach out to you, learn more about Limcora and just generally get in touch if they want to have a chat or learn more about the company? LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn and you can go to our website, limcora.com.au or come in and see me at the office, Mulgrave, 134 Curtis Road. Yeah, I'm here most days. Well, you have a good rest of your day and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks again. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Appreciate it, mate. You've been listening to the Crushing It in Construction podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player and it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to learn more about employer branding and recruitment marketing strategy, feel free to visit our website at moonshotmedia.com.au or reach out to me directly at jaskinner at moonshotmedia.com.au. Thanks again for listening and I'll speak to you in the next episode of Crushing It in Construction.